Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the message today. I'm going to talk to you about the one thing that I believe gets between you and your purpose. The one thing that has the capacity to limit you in effectiveness. All right, I know you're like, only one thing? Well, let's put it this way. If I said there was 10, you'd probably only have the capacity to put one into action anyway. So let's go with the one, and then hopefully we put that one into action and we see fruitfulness. Let's kick it off on uh, our series scripture this morning. And I'm going to do something a bit different. We've been reading out of this scripture now since Vision Youth Friday of Vision Weekend. We had a gala. We we read it at Vision Sunday. We're four weeks into this series. You guys should know this scripture. Right, so we're going to say it together this morning, out loud, just in case you, you thought I might say it in my head. We're going to say Ephesians 4.1 out loud together. Uh, we're going to use the translation that is on the screen, so we're not all getting all over the place. Um, but here we go. Let's say it together. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Well done. Very good. Very, very good. You know, if nothing else out of this series, we are going to get this scripture into our minds. Then when we wake up in the morning, this idea of living today on purpose. I want to live today on purpose. Okay, I have a habit of making like extravagant decisions in, in a moment that sound amazing, um, and, and, and the reality is that the capacity of my life does not allow for consistency in that decision. Okay, and I've had to learn over time to lower the extravagance of my uh, goal, if you will, to what I can actually be consistent with in the capacity of my life. So now I'm not like coming home from conference sort of thing and being like, I'm going to pray for four hours a day. You know, the extravagant idea. Um, no, 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 I'm just going to try to connect with Jesus every day. One, to just today. Let's just go with today, connect with Jesus. I can fit that into the capacity of my life. Um, and so rather than being like, I'm going to change my whole life to be on purpose for Jesus, let's start with, I'm going to live today on purpose for Jesus. The second scripture I want to read today uh, for you, you don't have to read this one, it's all right, I got this, is 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 14. It says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, that's what we believe, in case you're wondering, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. That, again, is a consistent belief that we have as believers, Okay, believers are defined by belief. These are some of the things we believe. We believe Jesus died for us, and we believe that in accepting him, something of us died in that moment and was born again into a new life with Christ. It says he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Ouch. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. I love that. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift 
from God who brought us back to himself, brought with, a, with an R for my wife there, uh, brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, thank you Jesus, and he gave us, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. I'm going to finish there. Uh, Wow, that scripture brings it all together. It brings it all together. If you have been with us on this journey week after week for this whole series, in that one passage of scripture, you will have picked up every component that we have talked about on this journey. You will have heard salvation. You would have heard the language of us in community. You would have heard the language of ministry as a body of reconciliation, that you are ambassadors. And hopefully in that, you would understand that you now play a role that is articulated in your specific uniqueness that enables you to have a sweet spot of effect effectiveness as an ambassador. That's our series. Now, just in case you weren't able to be here for the whole series, I am going to right now, like a good teacher, you remember I did 10 years as a high school teacher, and every good teacher knows when you get to the end of a topic, you do a quiz. No, you do a summary. You just freaked out for a second. It's like, under your seats, there's an exam. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Imagine that. Wow, imagine that. We just get that when we get to heaven. So, you know. Um, here we go. Here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to teach. Are we ready to go? I told you it was going to be early. So, a bit of live teaching for you. This is our message in a summary. First of all, we talked about, and this is going to be great for all of you note takers. This is, you can copy this down. This is your little summary cliff notes of the whole series, we began with our foundation. We are called to Him, okay? We are called to Him. We never graduate that. You can never build a house without a foundation. You don't get to go, oh, I did the foundation really well. Now I'm going to add walls to it. So to do that, I'm going to take the foundation away. No, no, no. Walls are built on a foundation, okay? It never moves. You do an extension, okay? First thing you do, you check the foundation. Sometimes you strengthen the foundation. So before you take more things on in your life, go back, check your foundation, okay? Uh, Before you go up, before you level up in life, in leadership, in capacity, okay, in complexity of life, where do you go? Foundation, okay? In Him, so we are called to Him. We are called with Him, and in him. Okay, so so as we now add layers to this, which sound like action in some way, okay, we understand that all of the action is an action that is done with him and in him. Because it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Okay, I can do nothing apart from him. So it's not me doing this in my own strength, my own capacity. Everything he has now for me to do post my moment of salvation, I am doing in his strength, in his power, by his spirit, with him and in him. Okay, so we never graduate that. Then we added a layer. Okay, we added a layer because we understand that the first thing we are actually called to is not is not like my individual space. No, no, no. The first thing we're called to is his body. His body. Jesus is the head of something. He's the head of his body. His body is the church. Okay, so the first thing that we are called to be in him and with him is in and with and a part of his body, okay? His body, and we are called to build up 
his body. Okay? That talks about how are we actually contributing to the strength, health, vibrancy, life, connectivity of this community. Okay? Okay, I'm going to put something on here that this is not attendance. This is not even necessarily serving. Okay? We're going to get to that down the track, but the problem is if we put serving before connectivity and community, we will, we will do it as an obligation rather than out of an act of love for each other within this space, desiring to be able to contribute to other people's experience within the house of God. Okay, if we don't love each other first, our serving will simply be obligation, not an act of love. Okay, and when you know what we get tired, we are tired when we do obligation. We get bitter when we do obligation. Okay, okay, we get burned out on obligation. Okay, but when we act in love, okay, it's a beautiful thing. All right, because then it doesn't just con- then it doesn't just contribute something. Okay, it also brings an attitude. All right, so so we are called to build up his body. This community should be the strongest, healthiest, most amazing community on the face of the planet. Okay, people that are embedded in sport clubs should look at the community of the church and be like, man, that, that, they're just, they just love each other. I want to be in that community. I believe the way we love each other, it's funny, Scripture backs this up, but the way we love each other tells them that we're his disciples, right? It speaks volumes, more so than the volume of our worship. It's our love. It's our building up of the community that speaks to people. The second thing we're supposed to do actually comes from the body, and we call it ministry. Because ministry is not what I do down the front. It's not what our pastors do down the front. Ministry is the number one all-encompassing thing that with God we are to do. Okay, As a body, we have ministry, and it's a ministry of who remembers? Oh, thanks, babe. (laughs) Ministry of reconciliation. It's, hopefully my spelling is correct. It is a ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because Christ was first reconciled to us, now us in him. We have a ministry to reconcile the world to God. How do we do that? How do we do that? The process, it's called making disciples. It's what Jesus reminded us that all of us as a collective, as a single, as the body of Christ, the body moving into the world, its purpose in doing that is to make disciples. It is to be about the ministry of reconciliation, the lost being found, dead coming to life, dead on the inside, being being born again afresh in, in relationship with Jesus. Build up the body, make disciples. It's only at that point that we ask ourselves, okay, well, in the context of the body, in the context of us all collectively going to make disciples, all collectively being about this ministry of reconciliation, what of that do I do well? What part do I play because I don't do it all? Because in a body, okay, an arm doesn't do it all, a liver doesn't do it all, there's specificity, So what part do I play? It's only at this point that we start to get a little bit individualized. But our individuality is only valuable in the context of community. Okay, because if because because us alone, outside of understanding that collectively we're about the ministry of reconciliation, 
Well, then we're just, we're just out doing our own thing. Okay, so, so it's only at this point that we ask ourselves, what is my sweet spot of effectiveness? What is my sweet spot of effectiveness? And we said that that language, that sweet spot of effectiveness, that is what for some of us that grew up in church, that's what we used to hear labeled calling. Find your calling. Find what you're called to. The problem is that we were, we were called before we were saved to him for salvation, and now we're called to do things with him. The calling is not, uh, um, it's not located in just one place, which is what I do with my life. Okay, calling is a far bigger thing that began before you were even born. Uh, we use the analogy of the design of the house with the activity in mind. We dream of the activity, so we design the house. And so just like, just like Jesus dreamt of you partnering with him in the reconciliation of all people and said, I want someone who's just like this, you were designed with the action in mind, but it required you to first come to him so that you could perform that action with him, not in your own strength. So there we go. And then lastly, lastly, and I did it a bit quick, and I was okay with that because I know we're going to unpack this heaps more in our discovery section, but there is this idea of refining refining the components of our sweet spot. We said it was context, you, how God made you, what God gave you, and where God's placed you. Those three components that make your sweet spot of effectiveness. And we said that once we've found those, once we have some level of awareness in those, the rest of our journey should be refining those, refining ourselves, our character, refining our competency, refining our capacity, right? Refining all of those things, allowing God to transform us so that the, the us is the best us, okay? And then there is the spiritual gifts. So pursuing those, eagerly seek the gifts of the Spirit, have an awareness what gifts has God given you to be effective, and then understanding our context, okay? Our context as a person in a family, our context as being placed in a maybe a workplace, okay? That's only a component of our calling, okay? So it's like break some stuff down here, being a, being a businessman, being a teacher, okay, being a stay-at-home mom, whatever, whatever it is, that's not your calling. That's the context in which you outwork the calling of the ministry of reconciliation, okay? We have, we have, we, we traditionally, we put, we put context as calling and we debunk that myth. So that's a summary and then, and then I, I, I drew a magnifying glass and I talked, about, I talked about the way that the light of Christ through us okay, gets refined at this place of fire in the same way that we used to burn ants when we were little kids, magnifying glass. As you get the focus right, as you continue to refine the focus of that light through your life, the, 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 the end product, the effectiveness, the fire of God, the fruit of the kingdom is increased. Okay? Um, and, and so, you know, we could... We could we could draw like a magnifying glass. There we go. It's so, it's so good. I'm so artistic. It's out of control. And then, and then we can do this. And we can spin that. Oh. And we can put that down there. And we can see that. This is, this is coming to a point of effectiveness. Okay? Sorry if you were taking a photo of that and now it's upside down and you can't read it. But that's the image I want you to take away, okay? And, and there is a reality that, that your effectiveness is limited, and this isn't my one thing, so don't get carried away. But if we were to get rid of one of those, okay, who knows that light's going to get lost out the sides. There is a capacity that if we remove a key component of that progression, if we only focus down here, 
okay? We will end up separating ourselves from the necessity of being embedded, connected into the actual body that gives the ministry of reconciliation, sits on the body. It's what gives us as individuals purpose in our lives. So there we go. There's your summary. And now we're going to talk about the one thing, the one thing that can completely limit your effectiveness. And I, I mean, I'm a fan of sport. I think you guys know that by now. Most sport, and gosh, there has been a lot of sport on TV lately. Has anyone noticed? I mean, you can, you can, you can, you can like, yes, Addy has noticed. He's, he's loving it. We're flicking between the World Cup, the Ashes, even if in doubt, right? Like there's the swimming championships. We've just finished the Tour de France. Like, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, Wimbledon was on. I'm like, I'm so sport overloaded, which is not, it's not a bad thing. I don't have a limit, but um, This thing about sport that I love is that sport has this way of one week, one week where it's, um, you know, your team versus another team. You can be hurling, not me, because I'm I'm saved and sanctified and transformed. You can be hurling abuse, right, at the other supporters, right? Like, you can just be, like, I went to a Premier League game when I was in England, and it was wild. Like, it was like, oh my goodness, this is next level. But you can be railing on people supporting the other team. And the very next week, they're playing together as a nation, and those two supporters will suddenly be arm in arm, like, hugging, crying on each other's shoulder, singing together. And it's like, you were willing to, to, to like, blunt force trauma each other last week. What's going on? Don't know why that came to mind. I've been watching too much CSI or something, but there you go. And it's, it's mind-blowing to me that in, in one context, they can be so at each other, so against each other, but you put them into a bigger context, and, and suddenly they are best friends. They are like in the trenches together, cheering for the same team, going through the same roller coaster of emotions. I, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where like you're, you're at a sports event, you're sitting with complete strangers, but, but for the period of time of that sports event, they suddenly become your greatest allies. Like they are your greatest friends. Like things that you would never have done with a stranger, you find yourself suddenly connected heart to heart, right? Begging for the ball to go in the back of the net together. I don't know, I had this experience with the Rugby World Cup many, many years ago. Um, I was watching it on the big screen down in Sydney and uh, and. and Somehow we got into a singing context, and you guys know how a great singer I am. We got into this singing competition between this group of English supporters who were singing like, you know, the Barmy Army, they do a great job. And, and, so, and then we just, we just gathered this group of Australian supporters. We started like singing, waltzing Matilda at them, and then they were singing this other thing back at us, and we were singing. It was, it was fantastic. Great. One of the greatest sports nights of my life. You know, I have no idea who those people I was singing with are. Not a clue. Didn't even know their names. Right? It's like single-serving friends, just for that moment. Um, but the one thing that can stop us being effective for the kingdom is when we put personal preference above purpose. When we drill it down, and you have the, the two opposing supporters individual teams, they're really at a level of personal preference. You put them in the bigger context, suddenly they're together. And it's interesting, I don't know where you put purpose in your life, but the moment that we put personal preference over kingdom purpose, 
we absolutely limit our capacity. Thanks, Julie. You see, we can, we can have worldly effectiveness. We talked about this. The call and gifts of God are irrevocable. We see it all the time in the world around us, incredibly talented people being incredibly successful. So it's not about not being effective. But we, we put a caveat in front of that. We define effectiveness because to us, the kingdom of heaven means something. So we orient our lives around having kingdom effectiveness. And if we want to have kingdom effectiveness, then that actually has to be elevated as a pursuit above personal preference. Because Scripture tells us that at salvation, we actually receive a new identity. Right? It's like, it's a, and that identity comes with a new purpose. So, so in many ways, the way I would have defined purpose before I knew Jesus was all about things like pursuing status, pursuing wealth, pursuing all of these things that actually were just a bit of a personal preference in life. I gathered them together looking at what I thought looked like a really good life, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to make them my purpose. But the moment I accepted Jesus, it says, miraculous moment, you get born again. That old life has died. The new life has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.20, it says, this is my old self was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now I have a purpose that is no longer centered on my personal gain. It's no longer centered on my personal preference because my purpose is connected with my new identity. My personal preferences are not wrong, okay? It's like, let's just bring this down a level before we all like, get a bit too heated. It's not wrong to have personal preference, okay? There's still things that I, I, I personally prefer, okay? I would, I would prefer to have the home I have, okay? I would prefer to have certain things in my life. I have personal preferences, don't worry. And as long as they're not sinful, all right, it's okay to have personal preferences. The issue is when personal preferences take priority over kingdom purpose. When I start to live, act, function based on achieving personal preference at the cost of kingdom purpose. Because one will always take precedent and the other will take a hit. It will take a cost. We see this all through Scripture, okay? Uh, Acts 16, 6 to 10. This is a great example, right? Where Paul says, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of that and that uh, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching in the world, preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. They were coming to the borders of that place. There's a few other places in there. Keep going. We're, just, we're, we're, we're paraphrasing. So instead, they went through this place, and then they went here, and it says, And that night, Paul had a vision from a man in Macedonia. And it says in verse 10 that they decided to leave for Macedonia at once. I don't know if you look at that, but they had a preference to go somewhere else. Their preference was to go to Asia. Paul's preference was to keep going in a certain direction. If you map out his, his journey, in fact, your Bible does it for you. Most analog Bibles, they got little maps at the back. They're great. Um, you can look at it and map it out. And Paul had a preference to go this way. He wanted to go into Asia. He was like, that's my preferred path. But it says the Holy Spirit stopped him. And then he had a vision to go to Macedonia. You know what he did? He went, you know what? Kingdom purpose. 
More important, personal preference. If Paul had put it the other way around, Paul would have been off trying to preach the gospel in, in, in Asia. And I have, I have a guess that it may not have been as effective as what it was in Macedonia. Probably the best example we get in Scripture is in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet... I want your will to be done, not mine. That right there is the language of someone who has elevated kingdom purpose over personal preference. So often in life, we misattribute things like pain and suffering. We think, we think they're just spaces to get out of. My personal preference is I don't want to feel like this. My personal preference is I would like to not go through this. Uh, my personal preference is that I would have a life where I am, I'm happy and joyful and everything is lovely all of the time because that's easy and that's nice. But what we see from this example is that sometimes kingdom purpose is actually embedded within the path of suffering and pain because God shows things through that, because God works things through that. Not because God brings that, but it's in that environment that certain things come out of us or get embedded into us. Or, or, or we have the capacity to show people certain realities of the kingdom that don't get expressed when everything is just nice and easy and fun. And so we have a personal preference to avoid suffering and pain. But sometimes we need to go, actually, you know what? God, your will, not mine. If I need to walk through this valley, the dark valley, the valley of the shadow, if I need to walk through that, I know you're still going to be with me. I know you're working all things together for good. So rather than trying to avoid what might be difficult, rather than trying to avoid what might be painful and what might feel like suffering, and my personal preference would be to not be here at all. I really don't want to walk through this. I really don't want to do this. Not your will, but mine. Yeah, prior to our salvation, personal preference forms our identity. Okay, we shape ourselves according to our personal preference, but now that we have a new identity with a new purpose, our personal preference must take a secondary place to kingdom purpose. I don't know about you, but I see it, I see it all over the place where people don't have a, a, a kingdom purpose-oriented identity. They define themselves by all sorts of things. We define ourselves by political stance. I'm this. I'm that. Okay, we define ourselves by, by diet, right? Like I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan. I'm not here to diminish that in any way, shape or form. But the reality is that the, the purpose of the kingdom of heaven takes a little bit of a priority over personal preference, which is why all through Paul's letters, he's like, hey, listen, if what you eat causes another, another believer to sin or, or have condemnation, then, then maybe your desire to eat a certain thing is not as important as the collective purpose of building up the body together. And so maybe you don't think so much about yourself, but maybe be willing to lay that down for the benefit of the bigger purpose of the kingdom of heaven. You guys are getting quieter and quieter the more we go into this message. You know, we define ourselves with by a sports team supporter side. Oh, oh, I support this team and you support that team and so we have this distance between us. I could go on and I could, I could, I could pick on more culturally heated topics in terms of the way people define ourselves, but I'm probably not ready to put that out on, on YouTube. But the reality is that we define ourselves by how we feel and how we think that produces how we feel. And the truth is that Scripture says that when we become believers... We are no longer defined by those things. 
We get a new identity. It may not change how you feel. It may not change how you think immediately. But now we have something beneath us, underneath us, at a new level, at a new foundation that says, even if you still feel and think and define yourself like that, the truth is that that's not how God defines you. He defines you as a new creation. And most of us, all of us are on a journey to understand what that new creation looks like in application in our lives. And it means that we have to change how we think because I can now no longer think the way I used to because I'm a new creation. It says, I have nailed the passions and desires of my sinful nature on the cross of Christ and crucified them there. I'm telling you, that is like a daily scripture for me because, you know, I still feel things. I still think things from before I was saved. And I've got to remind myself that that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. Therefore, that passion, that desire, that thought, that feeling, that's on the cross of Christ. That's not me anymore. I don't think like that anymore. I'm not going to feel like that anymore because that's not who I am as a new creation. One of my favorite favorite examples of this in Scripture is by Peter because Peter Peter gives me hope, right? Because Peter is a bit blunt-headed. Every time we meet Peter, every time Jesus is trying to do something significant in Peter's life, it takes him like three times. Right? Like, because Peter, like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it the first time. He doesn't get it the second time. And it's kind of like it just starts to sink in the third time. And I'm like, oh, good. That's a bit like me. Like, I don't get it all the time the first time. And we meet Peter, Acts chapter 10, chapter 11. I didn't give the guys a scripture because nobody wants me to read two chapters of scripture. So you can go home and you can read this. You know, there's a bit of homework from, from Mr. Wellburn. But Peter has this moment where it says he's super hungry. And he goes up on the roof to pray, and he falls into this kind of vision. They call it a trance, but you say that these days, and people get a little bit funny. And it says that he saw this blanket, this picnic blanket, come down from heaven. And on it is all of this amazing food, right? Like, all of this stuff. But it's all the stuff that the way Peter defined himself as a Jew, he couldn't touch. So we have Peter with the mindset of how he fully defined himself prior to meeting Jesus. He was defined by a Jew who lived by the law. That was the deepest part of their their, their self-understanding. Their self-identity was built into them. I, I am a Jew, and therefore this is what I do. And so here is this blanket of food, and a voice from heaven says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And he's like, Lord, I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to touch that. Three times this happens because Peter's like, Ooh, takes a while. You want to know what Jesus was trying to get through to Peter? That now, Peter, that you're a new creation. Now that you have gone from those things defining you to something else now defining you, those things are now no longer the highest priority for you. Those things are now a personal preference. And now, because of the kingdom purpose, I'm saying to you, you need to, you need to go above those and, and you need to kill and eat those things. You need to understand that there is a purpose at play that is now bigger than your personal preference. And what used to be how you defined yourself is now just a personal preference in the shadow of the new creation that you are in the kingdom of heaven. And we look at it and we're like, it's not really a big deal, Pastor Nate. It's just, just a bit of bacon. If you start taking bacon off my bacon egg rolls, by the way, you'd be in trouble. (laughs) 
There was a significant reason that Peter had to understand that those things now could no longer define him the way his life with Jesus defined him. And part of the issue is that that our commitments will always, they will always reveal, they will always follow, they will always come out of our deepest convictions. And so what we see here is a moment where Jesus is, is challenging what was and what used to be one of Peter's deepest convictions. Because there was about to be a moment, there was about to be a turning point in the entire distribution of the gospel. There was about to be a point where Paul, someone totally disconnected to Peter, was about to be told by God, I want you to go out to those, they're called Gentiles, they're basically people, all people who aren't Jewish. You're about to go and you're going to take the gospel to all of those people. And we're those people. So this moment right now, this moment is critical. This moment is critical because, because Peter, has to, he's, he's so committed to his conviction that despite how hungry he is, he's not crossing that line, right? You can tell how deep your conviction is by how much pressure your commitment can handle, right? Like you say, oh, I'm, I'm committed, but how much pressure can that commitment handle before you're out? That'll tell you how deep your, convic- your conviction is. But Peter, his conviction was deep. And he was committed through thick and thin, through rain, through sun, whatever it took. He was committed. I am not eating that. And Jesus is like, you don't get it, Peter. That's not the deepest thing in your life anymore. That's not the core of who you are anymore, Peter. You're a new creation, Peter. And therefore, there is a new purpose that comes with that new identity. And that new purpose is bigger than what you used to define yourself by. Because when we get to 1 Corinthians, we get an insight into Paul's journey. Paul used to be Saul, got knocked off his donkey, had this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, Paul? You're persecuting me. Uh, This isn't what I've called you to do. I've actually, I designed you. You know, you can speak well. You're unbelievably passionate about whatever you put your mind to, all of these things. You just got them directed in the wrong direction. And I'm about to change that direction. He gets knocked off his donkey, goes blind, has to go and visit a new believer that he was like, he was out there trying to persecute them. He gets prayed for by this this new believer, gets healed. And in 1 Corinthians, we find out that, you know, he doesn't just go from that straight into preaching the gospel. No, he has like three years. It's like three years where he's out. He's getting a new revelation. Jesus is teaching him about the deeper conviction that he now has as a follower of Christ and what that means for his purpose. He's getting shaped. He's getting transformed right up to the point where in 1 Corinthians, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians how he got to where he got to and why he's now talking to them as Gentiles and why he's bringing the gospel to them as Gentiles. And it says, you know what? There was a period of time where I wanted to just be sure. I wanted to make sure that I submitted what I was doing to the leadership of the church. It says, I went and I visited Peter. And I said, Peter, is it okay? Do you think it's okay that I'm taking this message to the Gentiles? Let's go back over here to Peter who's so Jewish in his mindset that he's like, I'm not eating meat. I'm not doing that. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm about to send someone to your front door who's going to tell you to go to Cornelius, 
Cornelius is not a Jew, but Cornelius wants to meet me. And if you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to lower your personal preference, Peter, you won't understand that the kingdom purpose is that this message of the gospel goes way beyond just the nation of Israel. It's got to go to the Gentiles, Peter. And if you don't get it in this moment, you are going to end up being a hindrance because Paul's going to come to you to check his message before it goes out. And you're going to say, no, it's not supposed to go there. But I've got to change that in you right now, Peter. I've got to lower your personal preference so you get that the kingdom and purpose is bigger than what you used to think it is. And in that moment, Peter goes, you know what? I get it. I get it. And he goes downstairs. There's a knock on the door. Hey, Peter, I've been sent to you for this person, Cornelius. Will you come with me? And Peter says, you know what? I will go with you because you know what? I got something five minutes ago when I was really starving. I realized that, that, that God was, was trying to shift my personal preferences out of the way of being a barrier to kingdom purpose. And I realized that now I have a new identity which comes with a new purpose. And therefore, the things that I used to say uh, define me and therefore also restrict me, they're not the things that restrict me in the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. It's only God's instruction that, that, that restricts me. And so I'm going to go to this Gentile called Cornelius, and I'm going to introduce him to the gospel. And not only that, but in, in, in years later, when Paul comes to Peter and says, hey, man, I feel in my heart that the Holy Spirit is saying, I've got to go. I've got to go out to all the people that aren't Jewish. I've got to go, I've got to go and take this message out. Peter goes, you know what? You do. You do, because this happened, and this happened, and I know that God's purpose is way bigger than my personal preference. I'm not going to let my personal preference stand in the way of the kingdom purpose. So how do you know if your personal preference is interrupting your ability to be about the purpose of God? It's easy. It's easy because you know what we can see? way easier than what's within, we can see our behavior. And our behavior come from our commitments, which are connected to our convictions, which live in whatever it is that we are holding as our identity. And they will come out as your personal preferences. And I don't know whether it's as, as a little thing as personal preference in terms of, you know, weekends, what they're about for you and whether or not they're about coming here, being part of community or all sorts of things. I mean, I could, I could go down a whole line of things. But what I do know is that the Holy Spirit is asking us as a collective community individually to assess whether or not we have some personal preferences that are interrupting kingdom purpose. I want to tell you a story, and I don't mean to deliberately push on, you know, one of the more contentious issues within church life, but the volume that our worship is at is not my personal preference. You just ask my wife driving around in the car with me, if it was my personal preference, it'd be way louder. Way louder. My mum used to say that she could hear me coming five blocks away when I had my peas. I mean, that thing, like I was, I was there. You could, you could test, you could hear me coming with like a, a seismometer that measures like, you know, tectonic movement. Like I love loud music. I want to be fully, I want to feel the bass moving through me, right? Mainly because I can't sing in tune. And so if it's loud enough, I don't have to hear myself. That's part of it. It's not my personal preference. 
I believe we're on purpose. I believe Sunday morning is about trying to reach people. I don't want to get too offensive, but almost there is a group that Sunday morning reaches. We want young families to feel at home in this place. We want to have an amazing kids ministry. I want all of you who no longer have kids at home to realize your purpose in this community, in this particular space, is to, is to help those of us that are going crazy with our young kids. Encourage us, give us wisdom, be there to support us. There's so much value that you bring into this place. But this place is not about your personal preference. Our community is not about your personal preference. I'm, I'm really sorry if a table space is a long drive away for you, but, but we believe in the purpose of being a part of that in the bigger picture of what God's doing. Don't let personal preference. I could keep going, but I won't. Time's getting short, and I'll get onto things that people will get really offended about. But do you want to know what the biggest personal preference is that limits us? It's comfort. We go chasing what's comfortable far more than kingdom purpose, which is often really uncomfortable. It's often difficult. It's often challenging. It often challenges us. And our personal preference leans so easily to comfort, to ease. I mean, I I know, I know how easy it is to do some things. The pursuit of comfort or what's best for me it, it, it's a little bit insidious because it just creeps. It just creeps back into our lives. We don't realize it, but we slowly start sacrificing on commitments. We slowly start sacrificing on, on, on the decisions that we made that used to be based on this conviction that I was about the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to embed in this community. I'm going to make it my community. I'm going to be there. And please don't hear this as a message all about being on Sunday. This way of building out the body comes before that. And we have to be about building out the body before we're worrying about where we are when the community gathers together. Okay, this is not like, hey, you've got to be here. But personal preference will be the first thing that takes you out of community. Whether that's community on a Sunday or a table space or wherever it is that this community gathers. When your personal preference gets challenged, you're like, oh, that's difficult. Oh, I'm just going to ease my way out of that. It's more comfortable over here. Oh, it's easier if I just, ah, just go over here. It's easier if I never show up and I just stay online, which I, I love you guys, but, but we want to also meet you and see you and help you be even more embedded in this community. I love that we have an online service. I love that you guys are doing a, a catch-up next week, but I would love to see you in person as well. Have you let comfort creep in? Now I want to go all the way back. It's not wrong to have personal preferences. It's not wrong to want to have components of your life that are comfortable, easy. Gosh, it's not like we're just, you know, the Christian life is not you have to do everything difficult, okay? You can't enjoy anything. We're believers. Gosh, that would be a terrible gospel. But our pursuit shouldn't be driven by comfort and ease and trying to get more of that in our lives all the time. At the cost of kingdom purpose 
which is linked to our identity. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.